I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and... Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. So I forgot to mention this on Monday, um, Conan, is Turlock O'Brien has stood down from Carlo uh, management. And um, it was on my running order and I don't know, I got carried away in the newspaper review on whatever I was given out about or whatever we we're talking <laughs> about. And I completely forgot about it. So it's, it's an interesting one, really, that he's standing down. And I don't know where to stand on it. In one way, I'm saying, you know, fair play to him for giving the next manager a bit of time, you know, for next year, because it's going to run into next year. And then on the other hand, I'm thinking like the championship's going to run on a knockout or a knockout and some sort of maybe backdoor or some sort of second chance, for example. You know, Carlo are the Division 4 team. Like, are they going to be in the championship past November? Could he have given the year championship a go and let the next manager in? You know, like, I mean, Des- Desi Farrell only got in in late November. You know, it's not the end of the world if you're in late November. So I don't know where I stand on it. It's, it's an interesting one. There definitely is an element of, of fair play to him, you know, for stepping aside or whatever. But for me, like, it's, it's what, what's your priority? And, like, championship is the big thing. Like, so yeah. I think if you're going to sacrifice anything, it should be next year's National League. Like, say the new manager comes in and it's just on top of him in a week or two, a week or two time. Which Car- really Car- yeah, Carlo do, do target the league almost, yeah. well, I don't know more, but to put a huge importance on the league. And I think that was part of his decision. Yeah, I, yeah, I know what you mean. I was just thinking, like, Finish off your term, do the championship, and then let somebody else build then next year. If the league doesn't go well next year, grand. But like you know, the way they're doing it now is you're having a new manager coming in for championship. It's just, I just think it's a bit archways to be honest. Yeah. So that's it. At first, when I read it, I went, "Geez, that's a that's a lovely thing he's after doing." And then I started thinking about it and thinking, "Geez, is he is he throwing in the towel here?" I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, he's enjoying his free time. It just doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) No way. I'm getting back into that crap. (laughs) But uh, like, in fairness, to give give him his due, he started the Carlo Rising. He brought in Poacher, and you can give out Poacher all you want. And there's loads. There's a long list you can give out about that fella. About but like, I mean, they had some very good days. They got promoted. Division 3 we know they beat Loud and Kildare in the same year in the championship you know they almost beat Monaghan in the qualifiers they played very well against Cavan away another year in the qualifiers they got into a league final in Croke Park now this is from Carlo you know they they mm-hmm. kind the Carlo rising um, hashtag so like I mean he'll be very fondly remembered um, in Carlo football yeah and the Loud and Kildare thing are obviously two big scalps with the year before that I, I think it was always targeted at them that they had only won against Division 4 teams but they still put together three wins in the championship you know, which is a great level of consistency for Carlo to, to get there and I always remember the, the Dublin match and I know it, it, it fell on its arse like you know in the last 10-15 minutes but 
they rattled them like you know they gave it a go and I just thought that would do so much for the county as well like you know just seeing these Caro players and some of them showing that they're they're good enough Brendan Murphy and Sean Murphy and then having it highlighted on Sunday game and you know little clever tactics that they were employing and stuff I just thought that game against Dublin was just it was so big for them it was such a big deal and yeah it was all down to, to Turlock really who got them going for it yeah so Paul Broderick was talking about him and he said we could be playing Sligo in the league and for four weeks before it he'd be up in Sligo watching club games if there was one player in the match he wanted to see he'd be there watching it you'd only ever find him um, you'd, you'd only ever find out when you'd ask him did you have a good weekend and he'd say I was up in Sligo like I mean <laughs> That's serious preparation for a small county. And I suppose he doesn't have the luxury like Jim Gavin or one of the high-profile managers of sending some runner down and bringing back a report. He has to go up and do it himself. <laughs> yeah, that's where you get my lackey in just to go up the, up the side going and do it for you. Yeah, yeah, record that for me. I want I want a full bullet, pri- bullet point proof uh, report on my desk on Monday morning of that team or whatever. So, like, I mean, moving on to the club... Um, um, football and hurling canon. So the October the 11th is the club finish. So there's a whole load of county boards um, trying to finish up their championships in late September to give more time to their county teams. So the latest end is October the 11th. That's outrageous. It's six days before the start of the championship. And there is no county board going to run it. I don't think a county board is going to run into October full stop unless they absolutely desperately have to. Because we have to remember, and we said this on the last show, like the county team is the is the prestigious um, team in the county and there's no county board chairman is not going to want to give them a decent run in of preparation. You know, like, I mean, the, the idea that, you know, the semi-finalists and the finalists won't be available to the county manager into October I don't know. I can see situations where the club teams in the semi-finals and the final might train Tuesday, Thursday with their clubs. And then maybe on a Wednesday night, they'll go to county training and it won't be a physical training. It'll be a tactical walkthrough. You know, they'll have to stay involved some little bit in that month with the county as well. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know about you, but like, I just can't get over how how loud the, the vitriol is around some counties not using those extra two weeks. Like, I, I can't... I can't fathom it. Like, and here's the thing. Like, say we we talked about this before. If the clubs had have gone first, or if the clubs had have gone second after the county season, then it would have been this whole we're being treated like shit again, shoved at the back burner, county being prioritised, blah blah blah. Yeah. And if these counties used a full window for the club championship, then there'd be even more concerns than there already is about county training overlapping. So this seems to be a bit of a happy medium. And if if there's a manager out there who thinks it's a good idea to like flog the players and have them train them with a club for a club semi-final and then also train them for the county flat out like you know and god help them like that's that's not good for them but what you're saying there is ideal and it can definitely be worked on it can like train your club for a club semi-final and only have four teams left and then go down for the tactic sessions and the vi- and the video sessions and the meetings and whatever else yeah i just i, I just got really annoyed like at, at the idea that you know anybody who's saying that the the answer is to get rid of the county game like that's that's not an argument. Like that's that's an agenda. Like we need the county championship, the inter-county championship for, as you say, we need money. It inspires people, and 1.1 million people watch the All Ireland finals. How can you say you're not serving the masses by looking after the inter-county game? Makes sense. Yeah, then that's the thing. And look, it's the whole CPA thing again, and it's Joe Brawley, and it's the anti-GPA thing, and all this, and it's almost turned a lot of people about it's almost fashionable to hate intercounty. You know that kind of yeah. way. And it's just wrong. It's completely wrong. Now there's obviously that championship needs to be condensed, but it can't get any more condensed than it's going to be this year. And they're still giving out. Like I mean it's bizarre. But anyways, um a lot of counties now are releasing their schedules for their club championships. Um interesting I thought it was clever. Tipperary and Cork are waiting to see what the intercounty schedule is. Mm. So maybe they're waiting to see who to draw in the first round to see how much time. <laughs> but like you can laugh, but that's the reality of, you know, like I mean, I think that's clever to wait and see what's in store in the first round for your county before you commit to your club championships. I wouldn't have any problem with that. Um but the Wexford one, have you seen the Wexford one is absolutely brilliant. So um, Wex- Wexford are running their hurling championship off first, right? So Davy Fitz was on the Sunday game, and he was saying to me, "This isn't this year isn't about all Ireland's. Look, it would be lovely to win one with Wexford. It would be lovely to win one with Six Mile Bridge. It's about getting out and being able to participate, being able to get onto our fields and being able to play the game." So, like, I mean, you know, I would say there's probably two percent of Davy 
probably meant what he said there. The other ninety-eight percent was kind of laughing to himself. And then you see the you see the schedule for the Wexford hurling championship. So that's going first. Probably Paul Galvin. I was going to say Paul Galvin wouldn't be too happy with this, but he does all right out of it as well. So this is the schedule for the Wexford um, County Championship. Their county hurling final is on August the twenty-third. <laughs> Can you believe that? August the twenty-third. Like I mean, it's crazy. So they're starting on August the second. Then they play a midweek, and like every team is guaranteed three games. They play second week, they play on the second, then midweek on the fifth, then on the ninth. Then they have an optional quarterfinal, which might or might not happen on the twelfth. Then semifinals on the sixteenth, and final on the twenty-third. That quarterfinal might not happen. So you're looking at one, two, three. You're looking at five games in four weeks. Um, you know, like I mean, which is you know, pretty intense and people will give out about that, that that's, you know, taking the piss out of it. Do, is Davy influencing that? Who knows? Like, I mean, are the Wexford County Board giving their hurling team every chance to do well in the first <laughs> round? Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Like, I mean, so I don't know what to think about that. Then you think like, what do club players go mad for? They go mad for games every weekend in the, in the height of summer. They're getting that. So then in the footballers, are going August 30th, 2nd and 6th in the group games. Then the 9th is a quarterfinal that might not happen, the 13th and the 20th. So they're running everything off in four weekend, four weekends um, for five games as well. But they finish up on the 20th of September. So, you know, Paul is getting, the you know, three days less than the maximum that the GA are allowing. Yeah, Davey definitely didn't help things there because I was like thinking like you know, what is all this given out about the two weeks over and then I saw Wexford coming out of August 23rd and obviously if everybody did that then you'd have a you'd have a bit of concern but like somebody made the point that you know there'll be a lot of crossover but I'm sure they'll be prioritising Wexford hurling but there'll be a lot of hurlers who'll be playing in that in that football championship in Wexford as well that's a good point yeah that's a good point you know, so they'll be they'll be going right up to September twentieth. But like you sort of touched on this as well. Like, what's wrong as well with a club wanting the county to do well? Like, you know, and if you can, if it like that, that's an extreme example. I wouldn't want to see every every club championship being condensed like that. But if you can forego two weeks just to help your county team, then what's wrong with that? Like, you, you can do like now more than ever. There's a need to try and like sort of make some allowances and make some sacrifices and, and you can do it there's enough space in the window we talked about 11 is, weeks is great yeah there is now but they're going the second then they're going the fifth of the midweek game and then they're going the ninth so they're going with three games in a week do you oh, know what yeah. I mean I want, I want nothing that's... to do with Wexford <laughs> <laughs> no it, it is it, it is too it is too intense um, yeah. schedule do you know to get it finished that that quickly you know but the problem probably is in Wexford and a lot of dual counties they might have to go one and then finish it and go the other there are a lot of the Wexford players play dual you know and that's an issue that's going to be a big issue and instead of playing it alternating it they're going to try and finish one after another we're 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 saying Davy had no part in this hurling getting played first I would love to have been I'd love to hear the conversation between Davy and Paul when deciding which championship goes first <laughs> Yeah, it was probably some sort of thing like the way the club and county thing is panned out now. Like, you know, this doesn't mean that the footballers are more important if you go last. Yeah, we might here get all the players. Whose bad books would you prefer to be in? Who 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 would you prefer least prefer rollicking off, Davy or Paul? Oh, Davy, like Jesus, like because I think I think Paul would be more passive aggressive with you. Do you know? I think he would let you know, like you know, just by his silence. Whereas I think Davy would just come straight at you. <laughs> yeah, well, I say Davy could just eat the shit out of you. You could get a slap off Paul. That's something I would be worried about. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, there's other county managers that look. I'm taking that back about Paul. Uh, you wouldn't get a slap off him. You never, you never know. I want. I mean that in the best possible way. Um, You're afraid of getting a slap. <laughs> County managers are having their say um, about the whole thing. So Kevin McStay has been talking about, he's a former county manager, saying he wouldn't be happy um, with the, the schedule. He says the best clubs get to the finals and the best clubs tend to supply most players for the county team. Um, if you have finals taking place late September, early October, um, when that's when the county manager is going to be calling on such players. Look, it's hard to disagree with that. Like, I mean, that's the reality. This is not ideal for anybody. But if they do it, like we say, and come to an agreement between the clubs and the county that you only do tactical sessions. We'll release them once a week, you know, in those two weeks. I think you can find some sort of a, a balance there. Rory Gallagher was more positive. He says, 
Um, I'll be honest, um, that's possibly a five-week lead in time. We have to face reality. Fair enough, you might not have your county semi-finalists or finalists. Ordinarily, after the break in the league, everyone takes a week off and you have five weeks club league games. Now, bar your county semi-finalists and finalists, you'll have five-week lead in with them. I think it's fair. I think he's talking about April for clubs there, where you have your league, then you lose them and don't you don't have much of a run-in um, there as well. So, like, I mean... Look, it depends on your take on it. You know, like, I mean, I'm sure Rory Gallagher and Derry isn't going to want Slock Nail or one of the big teams in the semi-final final when they've got a lot of his important players playing for them, but that'll be the reality of it. Yeah, I think it's a good point to the April for Clubs thing. Um, the Kevin McStay one, I sort of think, though, he's right, but every county is going to be in the same boat because by his logic, like, you know, the best teams have the best players. So in every county, the best teams will be in the semi-finals of all the best players who will mostly represent the county. So they're all going to be in the same boat, like you know. And it's just look, it's, it's a one-off. It's not going to happen again. This isn't the yeah. thing that we're putting the Congress is going to affect them for the rest of their lives. It's just how yeah. can we manage to get this thing started? I think it's fair that it's definitely not ideal, and everybody's f- fair enough. Liam Cal has been saying um, there's restrictions until September, and it leaves a very short window for inter-county players to prepare. If anyone is naive enough to think that inter-county managers they're not going to try and assemble their players on the odd occasion during that period. That's before the September 14th date. Well, they're not really in tune with what's going on. Cook couldn't agree more with Liam on that one. Like, I mean, that's the part that made the headlines. Um, like, I mean, he, he, he said other things like county managers might just have to taper their preparations and ease some of the rigidness as regards allowing players back to their clubs and doing away from the regimental side of it. You know, so he was a lot, he was fair enough. But for him to say that county managers aren't going to try and assemble their squad before September the 14th, if, I would be amazed if any of them don't do that. Yeah, definitely. And then it's just about like, that's what I'm saying though. Like they're not going to want to bring these people in and just flog them for the sake of it when they know that they're no. training for their club and playing club championships. So I actually I don't have a problem. I know it's against the rules, but if they were coming in on the QT and as you say, down for a tactical session, in for a video session, whatever, what what's wrong with that? And it is going to happen. But these managers are smart enough to know that they're not coming down for a fitness session on top of everything else they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Declan Bodder has been saying, he's been talking about something else, and I thought this was interesting if you read into it a bit. He said, if there was ever an opportunity for an open draw championship, it probably was this year. I presume the four provincial councils will be holding firm under championships, so I don't expect any difference in terms of there being an Ulster championship. It could be knockout, I don't know. Will there be a backdoor? So he, he said, every everything being fair and the playing field was equal, then the open draw 32 teams is the fair way of doing it. I don't see how it's any fairer than than the provincials, but what Declan Bonner wants to do is he wants to draw Dublin in the first round. He doesn't want Dublin to ease through a Leinster Championship and be a much more difficult proposition. And like, I, I, am I reading too much into this or is this what Declan Bonner's thinking? I think that's what he's thinking because he thinks that Dublin are, could, are beatable with a new manager and very little lead in time are potentially beatable if Dublin drew a difficult team in the first round of an open draw. Yeah, and like remember, you mentioned that there he had little lead and time coming into it as well, and like they had lost a game and drawn two already, you know, so they hadn't been going that well before this, and yeah, like that. I actually was thinking about Dublin because it it suits them best, and Kerry obviously as well. I think it suits them best anyway, but especially now because. Yeah, like it's it's fine losing your players so close to when you're coming back. So they're all out playing club championship, but Dublin are going to ease back into it. So they'll have enough time to get training done and get the proper proper levels up. Whereas yeah, Donegal might not. They're going to take a game of Tyrone. It it is an opportunity though for the management committee who have control of this now. This doesn't have to go through Congress. This is a completely unusual year. Wouldn't it be a chance for them to do a Champions League style four groups of four? You know, the top two, go, like what you actually proposed, the top two go into the top 16, go into the All-Ireland and the bottom 16 go into a, at the All-Ireland B. Wouldn't be that many, wouldn't be that many games or maybe it might be too many games for what they're looking for. But the 32 county draw is definitely something that could happen over five or six weeks. Do you know, it, it's an opportunity for them to do something and have a look at a model that they would never get through Congress, you know, and try something yeah. new out. Yeah, and like most people would suck it up. There'd be a bit of complaining about whatever format you do, but they would they would all deal with it just because they know it's it's one year. And look, if it goes really well, then you stumbled across a really good format. Yeah, the you've only seen thing, it. Yeah, I I always remember um Porrick Duffy was on with you, and 
it said something about he has to be realistic about what he can get through. Oh, this is around the super rates when you had him in. Yeah. And he, he said, like you said to him, like the provincial is a big problem. Why aren't you trying to change that? And he said, you have to be realistic of what you're bringing to Congress. The provincial councils aren't going to change. <laughs> but it was it was fairly depressing. Like, you know, you had somebody so high up in the GA who got his restructure through and just thought there was no point in even entertaining changing the provincial structure. Yeah, no, it definitely will. I'd say the probable championship format will be the usual one, just to be no group super eights. It'll be provincials, yeah. it'll be quarterfinal, semi-final, final. You're looking at maybe seven or eight seven or eight weeks to see it all to see it all out. I don't I don't see them being any more creative than that. But there probably mm. will be a, there probably will be based on the club championships and the talk that it's going to spill into next year. It definitely won't be a straight knockout. Yeah, which which would have been good, but like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So I wanted to just mention um, GA players and racism, Conan, because we know everything that's kicking off worldwide, especially in the United States. And I think people are kind of running to um, black GA players, you know, the, the different GA players um, from different backgrounds and asking them what their experience has been like on a GA field. So, like, I mean, Jason Sherlock has been speaking about it. Uh, Jamar Hall has been speaking about it. Franz Sorland has been speaking about it, um, you know, on different newspapers. And uh, Bodo Saya has been speaking about it as well. And he said it hasn't happened in a long time, but I've definitely had slight comments on the pitch. He was talking on RT, he says, in the last few years, I've been lucky enough that I haven't really experienced anything at all. I don't know whether it's because my age profile has gone up, but people show a lot more respect than when I was younger. When I was younger, it was a lot harder. I was um, the only one playing um, and there was one or two of us and we used to stand out like sore thumbs. It wouldn't be full out racist abuse, but sly comments like you're not supposed to be here. And I don't know, like, I mean, they all gave examples of, you know, uh, comments that were made to them and I don't know some people like to paint a picture I don't know do I get over defensive about the GEA saying it's not racist uh, they, you know some racist comments can't paint the whole organization you know like I mean it's it's definitely a difficult one and it is uh, legislated for in the GEA rules like I mean rule 7.2 deals with discrediting the association and there's a range of penalties ranging from eight weeks suspension for individuals um, and right up to expulsion so, like, I don't think it's a big issue in the GEA. I think when all these issues are going on, these social issues are going on, you know, dragging the GEA into it, I, I'm not sh- I don't per- particularly like that. I do think definitely if it happens in the GEA, education is the key and, you know, making sure you won't stop it fully because there's always going to be assholes who want to say something like that. But as long as that people are aware of it and and people are educated to maybe make sure it's very, very rare. Mm, You're right. Education is the the big one. Like I can only think of my own experience. And I think education along with how it's it's monitored and how, how it's sort of looked after by people at the top. Like, you know, I think it, talked before about one of my best mates this in from Derry like but he's from an ethnic minority family and like he uh he got dog abuse sometimes when we were playing games and there was one instance and I, I know that the referee heard it because he saw this guy punch out because he reacted. Yeah. But the ref let him away of it because he understood sort of why he was reacting like that and caused a bit a big fight because everybody else heard it. And the ref never did anything, never reported anything. And then the manager of the opposition team, but again, it comes down to education, but he was he was trying to deal with it afterwards, you know, and he tried to bring your man who racially abused him into our changing room and everyone basically told him to fuck off. But our guy was dragged out of the changing room, you know, and your man was just made to say sorry to him. And and then the manager thought that he was dealing with it well there, like, you know, said, right, that's it. Now he said, sorry, it's done. And, you know, that's, again, it's not his fault. It was just really badly managed and that there was more education and more... More of a legacy of dealing with these things, then it would be it would be more easier managed. But I, I think about ourselves and stuff as well. Like it's all well and good. Like we would jump on top of anybody who said anything bad. Yeah, I don't know. Like I definitely think it's more prevalent in young in young people, and there's an element of showing off. There's an element of trying to be the big man in front of your friends. But a fella replied back to me on Twitter, and it just shows how people need to be educated on this. And I'm not going to say his name, but he said um, somebody gets a clatter on the pitch. Your opponent is black. You call him a black plus swear word. To me, that's anger and not racism. Different if one uses a racial slur. Like, I mean, I said to him, are you for real? There's, you can't get any more racist 
than saying something like that. And he didn't think that was racism. It just goes to show how stupid people are. That I'm not sure even they even know what they're talking about. You know, like, I mean, and Jason Sherlock is talking about education. And he says, from my point of view, I would like to see more education. And this is an interesting point. He says, education for victims of racial abuse so that they understand that they're doing nothing wrong. And that's one, that's something I never thought of, you know, and only Jason would have an insight um, into that. He said, everyone is different. Everyone is unique. And they're not, um, they're not the ones, frankly, with the problem. And then he says we need education, you know, to prevent these comments um, from happening. I was interested, I was Googling it, and the GEA have, have a responding to racism campaign. And this was from back in March before all this, you know, kicked off. They're not getting on the back of these protests and things. Um, it will provide pro proactive training in this in this area and supports the association's long-term campaign against racism and discrimination through the give respect get respect program so like the ga are um you know they were ahead of the the protests on that so it's, at, at least it would it would be worse if they're reacting to that you know by saying look what we're doing yeah oh you're right and i suppose they, they've been dealing with um a bigger proportion of it coming into the game um, more and more throughout the years, especially like you know, with a lot of the the refugees and stuff that have come into Ireland over the last few years, and they're all playing GA, so it's, it's more important now more than ever. And yeah, they have been doing a lot of work. And I think a lot of clubs have been as well, and it's just be, it's, it is becoming more normal, which is great. And yeah, hopefully it doesn't take too long for for that stuff to be weeded out because it's just it's such a stupid thing. Like what, what your man's saying there as well, thinking when you're fighting with somebody then it's fine you're using <laughs> you're using somebody's race against them that's the problem like, you know it's not like you're know, slagging yeah. with anything else like, don't yeah. use race or skin color the definition of racism he didn't think was racism but like I mean we'll move on from that uh, Maliki Clerkin has a great piece in the Irish Times um, he, he, he's talking about the Covid supervisor and I was laughing reading this because I was just thinking of, it just it just kind of hit home of the poor unfortunates that are going to be landed in this Covid supervisor <laughs> job and, and someone on Twitter said to me or tried to be smart says have you applied for any you know jobs up at the club and I didn't reply but I was thinking in my head hang on a second I captain Port Leash to a Leinster club I've done my part for the club I don't go around with a COVID supervisor bib on me that's not my role in the club listen I'm a former player so like I mean that's the way I look at all these kind of jobs I will never be a COVID supervisor ever ever Ever. It just won't happen. I'll be an ex-player and there, there's hierarchies in the club. COVID supervisors are generally people who have never, ever played for the club, who love the club and who want to have a role within the club. A former Leinster club winning captain would never lower to be the COVID supervisor. I, I don't think ex-player is a role in a club. <laughs> it is for me. Well, no, hang on. I'm still I'm playing junior. I'm still a current playing member. So you, are you brought in then, you know, for the big games where you've got a box and you tell people old stories then when they're down watching the game? <laughs> oh, no. Look, if this is the way it works and this is the way when I was coming up to the ranks, the ex-players would be in the clubhouse after a championship match and they'd be pointed out to the young lads, just there's uh, such and such, he did such and such. That's their role within the club. They're almost an ambassadorial role, Conan, if you will. <laughs> you could be like me if you wise up sort of thing. <laughs> But anyways, I'll read some of Maliki's piece because it's excellent. He says, COVID supervisor, you can just imagine the GEA tricking um, around to find the right term to use when they're drawing up the roadmap. COVID officer sounds a little bit too run of the mill. COVID secretary makes it sound like you'd be, dr you'd be drowning in paperwork. Even if that's the case, you're better letting them find out as they go rather than pulling them off it before it starts. COVID ambassador is too plumpy. COVID hero, too condescending. So COVID supervisor it is. It implies just enough authority to attract those who quite fancy the idea of bossing people around while keeping them at a safe distance from any actual power. The COVID supervisors will be the Garrett Keenans of the association. Yes, you will check everyone's temperature um, on the way to training. Yes, you will be in charge of this, the disinfectant and you can deputise who you like to help you clean the kit. No, you won't have any input into team selection. So like, I mean, he, he just he summed it up perfectly. COVID supervisor, it, 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 I don't know how much thought was put into the name, but it's, it's just perfect. Yeah, it's, it's the equivalent of, of asking somebody to go to the shop for you because they're the fastest. And <laughs> yeah, you're you're the best person for the job. Like, I remember going to an AGM a few years back, and uh, it was a big holdup for ages because they were trying to get a chairman to put himself forward. Nobody wanted to be chairperson this year, 
and everybody knew who it was going to be. <laughs> and we were all just waiting for this guy to put himself forward, but he didn't want to be chairman. <laughs> and anyway, after 45 minutes and after two recesses, he was eventually <laughs> cajoled into doing this. Like, you know, nobody else was coming forward because they knew it was done. Malachy has a great quote from Matt Damon in the poker movie Rounders. He says, um, if you can't spot the sucker in the first hour at the table, then you're the sucker. <laughs> it's a classic. <laughs> I'm going to leave you on this one, Conan, before we get into Chrissy McKaig and Neil McManus to talk about um, Team Ulster. Gucci are selling GA shorts for 500 quid and it's friend of the show, Paul Meskel, who is 100% responsible for this phenomenon. Gucci and the GA in the same sentence and GA gear in the same sentence. And this is because we know Paul is out running around uh, topless sometimes, um, actually around London near his home in the lock-in. And he is 100% committed to GA shorts. And it is highly commendable that he is still keeping the GA um, a big part of his wardrobe now that he's world famous. <laughs> yeah. I saw someone saying it was uh, the Bally Hannes shorts. <laughs> it's like Bally, Bally Hannes by Gucci. <laughs> Incredibly, I'm just surprised they haven't brought in Gooch Cooper yet to to sell the men's the men's range for them. <laughs> like, could you see one sale of uh, Gucci GA shorts in Ireland? I don't think they'd be doing well to get anyone. Because, like, I mean, I think it was O'Neill's were tweeting them saying they might not be Gucci, but you can get your green and red O'Neill shorts now in Elvery's for just twenty four quid. And I even looked at twenty four quid, going, "What the hell? You've been getting free shorts all your life. The idea you'd pay twenty four quid for a pair of GA shorts." It's just absolutely outrageous. Uh, there must be an ex-player's discount code there somewhere. <laughs> or no, a club ambassador's discount, maybe. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen, we'll leave it there and we'll come back uh, with the Team Ulster chat. Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought that up now because <laughs> there's no such thing as a media ban. We don't have a media ban. Ah, you do? No, we don't. Um, but you what, didn't let Shamey talk at a, at a hurley launch one day. Yeah, but hold on a second now. He was at a hurley launch, you know. Yeah. You know, I, there's I, a media I, ban if he can't no, talk no, at that. Absolutely not. I think you guys need to do your job. Don't depend on us guys for quotes, you know. Okay. Go but in, earn, he, earn your living like the rest of us. But if he's at a media day and he says to the media that I'm not allowed to talk, then right. he's obviously on a ban. Well, I think he's carrying a mixed message. <laughs> All right, so there's been a lot of talk in the last few weeks about Team Ulster hurling team and two of the best hurlers in the province, Neil McManus and Chrissy McCaig, join me on the line to discuss it now. How's it going, lads? How's it going, Willie? All good. I'm, I'm, hoping you, two, I'm hoping the two of you are on speaking terms after that 2015 Ulster final, uh, Chrissy. Is that still lingering in the memory? I can't even remember who won that game, Willie. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. I can tell you that since that uh, 2015 Ulster final, I've only got one uh, title since then. Chrissy is three, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually looking at that. You bounced back well from that, Chrissy. A little bit of, uh, you know, the bounce back ability. Uh, we, we've got a character up where we're at, so we're, we're, we're not too bad. Right, well, come here. Let's let's uh, let's talk about this team Ulster then, right? So we'll start with you, Chrissy. You're open to it. You're saying it's worth a gamble, so we'll let you kind of make the case for it. Yeah, look, I think it's um, it's been a discussion that's been had quite a lot, uh, and uh, hurling circles around Ulster in the last while, um, whether you're for or against it, and it's certainly easier to make the case to go against it, and that's you know that's granted. I wouldn't say I'm 100% pro Ford, but I'm certainly open to different avenues on how we can actually properly look at promoting Ulster Horn or at least give it some type of prestige. Um, I think ever since that Ulster lost its provincial hurling championship, um, it's done huge damage because um, there used to be a lot of motivation to to play in that competition because the winners got obviously a pathway through to the Liam McCarthy and you know um, you know I can remember going to watch Derry and Cook Park against against Offaly I can remember the, um, the going to watch them against Galway and teams like that okay you're going down to the game no one fine rightly that the chances of victory were incredibly slim but that's not really the point the the point is there's a huge amount of prestige and honour I feel and playing the top level of your sport 
we can't all one. We can't all be a Kilkenny and hurling or a Kerry and football. That's just not the landscape of the GA, and we have to accept that as hard as it is. But I feel at present, you know, Antrim obviously are on the cusp of getting in to you know top flight hurling again, and you know that that has to be commended. But um, if Antrim were not to make uh, top flight hurling next year. Um, it would be the same as this year where Ulster would not have one county currently uh, playing top-level horn. And, you know, that that has went on probably long enough. Antrim are obviously well ahead of the rest of the counties in Ulster. They're, you know, they are traditionally a hurling county. But I feel at present there there is less and less of an appetite, you know, particularly within my own county to play county horn because, you know, the prestige of playing Crystal Ring Cup horn is, you know, it's not that appetizing, and uh, I'd be worried for young people coming through to see no pathway to play, you know, top level hurling, especially in a province dominated by uh, under county football or sorry, just football in general. You know, so um, right. um, it's worrying times for me. What, what what do you think, Neil? I saw a quote from you saying, I know from talking to other Antrim hurlers, people involved, there's no interest in it. Team Ulster isn't a runner for anyone in Antrim. And I can kind of see why you would think that, you know, Antrim, like Chrissy said, is a traditional hurling county and you've played in all Ireland finals in your history. Like, I can see why you would you would kind of dismiss um, this whole idea. Like, I don't, I, I might even say like, ego in a good way like we're Antrim we we don't want to dilute into a team Ulster like is that where it's coming from in Antrim it is like the bedrock of of the GA is the parochialism and the the club rivalry and the county rivalry Um, that's you know I never grew up wanting to play for team Ulster you know I really enjoyed the Railway Cup whenever that came about but that was almost in a carnival type atmosphere um, and it was brilliant and very enjoyable and great weekend was had on, on many of those occasions but I, I grew up in brought to watch Cushion Ball senior hurling team play by my father along with my brother and to see Antrim playing in, in big Ulster finals and as Chrissy rightly points out as soon as winning the Ulster title didn't guarantee uh, an All-Ireland quarter final and I think the last the last year that it did was 2004 possibly and um, then the the validity of that competition was gone. It ran on probably for another 10 years to probably 2014, something like that. But it was meaningless because it didn't transport you to an area of the Lane Lane McCarthy Cup. So the validity of the competition had gone at that stage. And actually, uh, we found out that the competition wasn't going to be run again the next year. By by chance, we were playing in the McGurk, Cup, which is a pre-season competition in memory of St John's Man. It's it's uh, run between Ulster counties here in, in Belfast uh, just before the National League and one of the Ulster Council delegates was at it and said, you know, this is effectively your Ulster Championship this year. And geez, it was Derry, or it was Antrim and down that day and, you know, they just, they were looking across the tables at each other just wondering what was going on. You know, that's the kind of respect that the Ulster Championship was treated with and that's the kind of respect that Ireland is treated with within Ulster. So I think, you know, we have to... I, I'm not in favour of, of, of Team Ulster. I just think there are so many issues. There, there, leave aside even the logistical nightmare that it is. You know, there's so many people who think that Ulster, you know, everybody in Ulster is an hour away from each other. They don't realise that if you were a hurler in the Arts Peninsula and you had to make it to, to Cookstown, which is the central point of uh, of Ulster, you know, you're, you're talking two and a half hours and so is the guy in the top corner of of Donegal, he's two and a half hours away from the central point as well. So, like leaving aside the logistical nightmare that it is, my my big fear is what would happen to the county players left behind. So, if you take and I used the example of Down, yeah. the last time I was talking about this was what happens if you take say Danny Toner, Connor Woods, and say even the two Sands brothers out of Down, four quality quality players. Is down now so much of a, a less attractive prospect for any young hurler that you know if he can't make it to the, the team Ulster level, he doesn't really want to play. You know, could, could, like, could we possibly kill her? Well, no, no, no. And I know I agree. Like, and this is one thing that I think even Christy will agree with that. That if team Ulster 
pulls the best players out of all the Ulster counties and the rest of the lads have to continue on a Christie ring without their best players, that would get no support anywhere. Can we all agree? Can we all agree? Would you yeah, agree on that, Christy? Totally. And you, yeah, you agree totally. on that? So, so I think people need to kind of identify what is workable here and what's not. That's not workable. So if anyone talks Team Ulster under that structure, forget about it. And like, I mean, you would be doing well to sell that to anybody, I would reckon. What I was thinking, what could be sellable is play your Christy Ring Cups, play your Joe McDonough Cups. And after that, like the Joe McDonough Cup winners rejoined the All-Ireland Series and Team Ulster could play in a preliminary All-Ireland semi-final. Because I was looking potentially at the dates here. So the Joe McDonough Cup last year was June the 30th. Um, now, Leash had to Leash had to play Dublin a week later in the preliminary, which was a terrible turnaround. But the semi-final was yeah. June the 15th. Now, if, if a team in Ulster didn't make the Joe McDonough Cup final, they could potentially have three weeks to prepare for a quarter final with Team Ulster. It's almost like it's a it's a shot at Liam. I know it's not a great lead in time, and Christy Ring is similar. If you're not in the Christy Ring final, if you're only in the semi-finals, I think the semi-finals were 22nd of June. You would have a bit of a lead in. Like a, Christy is when you're thinking of Team Ulster, is it something on those lines that you're thinking of? Play with Derry, play with Antrim, play with Down, play with all your counties in the competitions, but maybe give one day a week until every or one day every two weeks until your team's knocked out and then commit to Team Ulster to get into a into an all and quarter final and, and have a shot at Liam McCarthy. Yeah, look that's the only way it possibly works. And you know, I know you know, the counter argument to that is look boys, it wouldn't simply work because the preparation wouldn't be at the level of a Cork, Limerick, Galway or Kilkenny or whatever else. And that's granted too. But when you're going for an amalgamation um, it's never going to be perfect anyway, and that would have to be accepted. Um, yeah. I have said it on the record a couple of times now, Willie. I don't think this has a snowball's chance, um, but I do think the conversation is worth having to highlight the issues that exist within Ulster Hearn. And I'd be very upfront in saying, if it wasn't for a handful of strong clubs scattered across Ulster, I genuinely think Ulster Hearn would be very close to becoming extinct. There's so many clubs in Ulster that do not entertain hurling, have no interest in hurling. They aren't from traditional hurling areas. And then you factor in, they don't see any Ulster hurling on TV. And that has a massive impact also. Now, okay, yeah. you might say there's maybe games in TG Cahar and so forth. But, I mean, I'm talking about high-caliber games. You, you know, how many how many kids around Ulster could name, could name hurlers in Ulster playing for Antrim? down, dairy, like so on. You know, you'd be hard-pressed, to be totally honest with you. So I think the promotion of the game in Ulster at the minute is getting actually worse. And I don't think people want to talk about that because as long as we see an Ireland final in Coop Park packed with 82,000 people in Tipperary and Kilkenny playing, we think the association's going brilliantly. I'm just, I just don't buy that as quick, you know? Yeah. I, what do you I, think, Neil? Absolutely. I think that's bang on. Um, I think that you know the reason why, even though I, you know, I don't think Team Ulster is going anywhere. Um, um, I think it's a non-runner. But the 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 point that Chrissy makes there about Ulster hurling not being let slip off the agenda—that's why I'm interested in having this conversation as well, because there's nothing being done. Like Gaelic football is so dominant in, in Ulster, yeah. it's it's incredible. It's, it's totally overpowering. So. We have well, it's Stan's reason. Antrim are the only team uh, in in Ulster who are close to the top level of her, and we're not we're not there, and we're only we're the only team that's close because we're the only county in Ulster that are not dominated by football. It's fairly it's fairly even and maybe even ages slightly in favour of of, uh, of and Antrim. Um, every other every other county is football dominated. Even Chrissy, for example. You know, if if you were naming an Ulster team tomorrow, the best fifteen hurlers in Ulster, like you're going to be talking about Chrissy McCaig, Brendan Rogers, and Shane McGuigan, three of the best hurlers we've seen them playing against Ballyhale. Um, uh, and was that was that December? Was that January? Uh, you know, so we we know they're capable of playing at the top level, but they're not going to commit to hurling for Derry because football is so much more attractive. Who would blame them? You know yeah. that that that's that's the it's Gaelic, Gaelic football is the reason that Ireland is uh, is is where it's at in Ulster and it's the exact same in Connor. You know we've Galway who are incredibly strong, 
uh, around with a chance of winning all Ireland, have a history and a tradition of doing that. And outside of that, in Connacht, there's there, there's no there, there's no team uh, that's close to competing at the top level. So yeah. the Ulster Council and the, the GA must do something for the for these areas. That's, See, well, that's, that, that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing. Just just first, Neil, would you commit to a team Ulster when Antrim end? Their uh, their competition, whether it be semi final of Joe McDonough, whether it be final, the final would be more difficult. Would you give three weeks to a team Ulster to to go into a preliminary quarter final? Would you see that completely as an on runner, or would it be something that you think might might work? I, I, first of all, the, for the point already made, like what's what chance have you if you're you're going to play with one month's preparation? You know, it's, you're, you're effectively recreating the real Lake Cup, but it's just for Ulster. You know, yeah. is all you're doing. You're going in with one month trying to mark PJ Reader, Shimmy Callan, who'd been working with a group of players for 10 months and a system of play. Like, what, what would happen? A group of players getting together from any province going out and playing an All Ireland quarter final against Limerick. What's, you know, what's going to happen there? I don't, I don't think that's, this is the avenue to develop Ulster Hurling. I'm incredibly passionate about developing Ulster Hurling because we do need to do something the, the state the, the state is there as Chrissy points out there is a handful of clubs less than 10 probably who are keeping the, the province afloat you know like it's it's in a it's in a very very bad place it's in a place where we there has to be serious action I think you look at the the Galefast model that's been rolled out in Belfast I think yeah. it's rolled out uh, province wide here in Ulster needs to be supported financially to, to do that Yeah so like do you, do you think uh, Chrissy, that the Ulster Championship should be restarted then and the, the Ulster champions go into a preliminary quarter final you know like I mean what what's the solution here like it, it, it is fair like Neil saying uh, most of the counties are dominated by football and you look at, you start pumping money into these counties and hurling, will it ever take off? Like, I, I wouldn't see hurling ever taken off in Tyrone or maybe Donegal, for example. Yeah, look, that, you have to be, you're, you're totally correct. You have to be realistic about it and you have to look at the history because that leaves clues too. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, and in order to develop a standard of anything, you need to be privy to playing at a higher level and, Ulster Hurling is just not simply privy to playing at a higher level. And I know Neil will, will uh, echo the same sentiment that, you know, Cush and Dahl face the same challenges as uh, we do as a club. You know, there's only so many teams you can play at Ulster that will bring you on to that next level. You know, geographically, we're, you know, we're quite isolated in terms of the level of high-caliber games. But at least if there was an Ulster Hurling championship, it would give an incentive for the best players in the county to come back out because you would get a big day out in the sun you would get to play a higher level of hurling, and that in itself would create more interest. And more interest creates more of an appetite to get involved. That's a start for me, and a fairly basic start. You know what I mean? Um, the Team Ulster initiative you know, can work maybe to a certain extent on, on what you said. If, if they come together at a certain time of the year, and they might have to go through then probably in fairness, the Joe McDonough to find out if they're good enough maybe to compete without the Antrim contingent. Yeah, you, you, like could, you could play the Joe McDonough winners, you know, and the yeah. winner of that goes in, you know? Like, I mean. Yeah, 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 something like that. You would have to be creative about it. I, I understand that, but I think we can all uh, understand on the call that, you know, the biggest issue here is not exactly whether Team Ulster comes into existence or not. The biggest problem here is there's a huge lull in the province Um um, in terms of hurling and you know it's been in a low for maybe the last 15-20 years if you're being totally honest about it okay Antrim sporadically have have done well but as, as I'm sure Neil will probably agree with not to the level that, that they would aspire to play at constantly you know yeah. yeah the big problem Neil obviously from this conversation is that Ulster hurling has no identity and the, the team Ulster its intentions are right whether you agree with it or not there's no Ulster Championship you're in the Joe McDonough the other teams are in the Christy Ring there's yeah. no there's no Ulster hurling identity anymore No there's not um, and it's, it's so sad because like the amount of years I went to Casement uh, when my dad was taking us to watch those games and they were incredible it was it was a an unbelievable day Whenever I met met Derry, you know that that really strong team of the early two thousands, late nineties, and Down were really strong at the time too. Like, you know, and 
in, in 92, I remember down being super, I think it was against Cork, we played in the, in the All-Ireland semi-final and uh, uh, Jordan Graham got, a, got an All-Star that year and the following year, Antrim were, were back in the All-Ireland semi-final at that stage and Paul Huntley McKillen got an All-Star in 93. But those, see those days for the All-Star final and All-Star semi-final, you know, I had a, I had a small book full of autographs of all the players, like the, the it was massive, there's 10,000 at all those games. You know, yeah. but the current was there. You know, you if you won that Ulster final, you were getting a crack at you know a, a Leinster champion or a Munster champion. You know, it's it was it was massive, and that 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 car is long since gone. Um, you know, and like the truth is, the the point the point's well made. It is very very geographical this issue. Like, Connor teams don't have the same uh, problems really, and and nor do. The, say the northern teams of of uh, Leinster who are struggling, they're they they have the one problem which is the GA uh, the the GA in that area is dominated by football, the same as what we have in Ulster, but they don't have the second problem which is the the geographical disadvantage. Um, you know, it, it can't be understated that it's so tough. You know, as Christy said, you know, the, the, the last time we spoke about this. Uh, Slash Neil don't want to come and have a, a friendly against Cushendall, even though that will be a good competitive team, or a, a, a friendly against Dunroy or Lockheed, you know, they, because they're thinking we might be meeting those boys on down the road, so we're not going to show our hand here today. The only way for us to get a really competitive game is to travel to closest Dublin. Yeah. Yeah, no, I do. Now, I do say, like, I mean, I understand the the distance up there and stuff like that you were talking about, but, like, Mayo players in Dublin travel back three and a half hours. Now, I know that's for their own county, so, like, for a, a made-up team, I suppose, Neil, you're saying teams wouldn't be travelling long distances or players wouldn't be travelling long distances. I, I, I think... I, but there's a bit of me, the, the selfish bit of me and, and, and the selfish bit of Cressy as well as... as Athletes or people who want to play at the highest level, these wouldn't be unbelievable to get a crack at somebody in a preliminary all Ireland quarter final, you know. But I, I, I see that as something I can do with Andrew, to be totally honest with you. Right, I, right. Like, I'm, I'm five years older than anybody else in the, in the Andrew team now, uh, and there's a seriously strong crop of young players there who I think will spend the, the vast majority of their career uh, playing in Division One. Um, and I, I I'd be excited about that group of players. I must admit. So I, I don't know. I don't know would there be massive anything hugely to gain from an Amherst point of view or, or an Amherst player. In this yeah. Thing. But I, I'm thinking about it from the point of view of the, the province um, that we we need to do something because even though I don't believe Team Ulster is, is right, we need to change something. You know, do we do we break Ulster into a hurling board and a, a Gaelic football board? And we go at it from from that situation because the Ulster counties and all these Ulster counties are dominated by obviously football people. And like I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be cheering on a, a, somebody who can win the cushion all to set up a Gaelic football team. Let's be honest about it. So <laughs> uh, you know that's the truth. Though. And these people, and fair play to them, their 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 whole identity is Gaelic football. So they they have no interest in hurling. But those are the people in the positions of power in the GA and Ulster. So. We have those people who I don't really care about Ireland making the decisions for us. Yeah, I think it was Aaron Galan told me if a Gaelic football was found in Patrick's well, they'd burst it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not far away. But <laughs> come here, Chrissy. Just on this, right? I I completely see Antrim's point of view on this that they have ideas of winning a Joe McDonough and being in that preliminary quarterfinal on their own merits like I can completely see that they're a traditional county and if I was from Antrim I wouldn't really want it either can it be done without Antrim would you be competitive enough without Antrim and is it something that a team Ulster you know that from the teams that aren't in the Joe McDonough could could come together and put a proposal together and get teams on board for this uh, well I, I've probably been out my own on this one um, and you know to be honest, most people that I talk to that are from you know the different hurling counties believe that they could be very competitive without Antrim. I believe no. Um, I believe that you know to be brutally honest, I think a team without Antrim would wouldn't won the Joe McDonough. Um, and I know there's probably people biting their teeth listening to that, but I I I just can't see it. The best hurlers in the province predominantly 
not all of them, but predominantly are from Antrim. Um, and if you were forming an Ulster team, it would have to be done on my mind properly. I would have to be given the, you know, the proper structures financially, managed by the proper people. And naturally, you would have to pick pound for pound the best players in the province, irrespective of what county they come from. So for me, starting, uh, if, you're, if you're looking at a panel of 30 of the best hurlers in Ulster, you could be looking at as many, I mean, you could be looking at anything between, you know, 15, 18 of them people on the panel being from Antrim. So to answer your question very bluntly, Wally, to compete at Liam McCarthy level, would you need Antrim players? 100% yes. Right. Okay. So, but this is actually a non-runner now that we've had a we've had a talk about it. What what sounds to me like is a runner is bring back the Ulster Championship. Um, the Ulster champions play the Joe McDonough Cup champions to play into the provision provisional quarter final. Would you be ha- Would you be on board with that, Neil or, and Chrissy? I'll throw this to both of you. Neil first. Um, if, uh, if, uh, I'd love to see. First of all, I'd love to see the Ulster Championship back. I, I really would. I know that like. Antrim had, had dominated it there for the past sort of I think they maybe done thirteen or fourteen in a row and that's when it was called a halt. But I know for one thing, I the, the people the, the people who are who say very passionate about hurling with Hells they weren't consulted to the best of my knowledge. Uh, it was a surprise to me whenever I found out that the Ulster Championship was, was being cancelled. Um I'd love to see it back, but there'd have to be a car, as you say, Willie. I don't know what you know, what, where would you bring uh, and into the hurling to the championship lap as it would they make up you know would they make up another preliminary quarter final to to assist with that well yeah yeah you could uh, you could you could do that actually because the Joe McDonough Cup runners up get into the preliminary quarterfinals and they're sitting ducks because they're demoralised do you know what I mean so the Joe McDonough yeah. Cup winners could go in one quarter one quarter fi- one preliminary quarterfinal and the Ulster champions could go in the other one yeah I, I again and I, I want to I use the platform to stress this point. This won't solve the, the Ulster hurling problem, but anything we can do that's different is worth a try uh, in, in the sense of getting some more exposure for Ulster hurling at, at the top level. So I wouldn't be against it, and I think reviving the Ulster hurling championship definitely is something that should be the number one priority of the Ulster Council. But Chrissy, you would have mo- a lot more motivation to hurl for Derry in the Ulster Championship than you would in the Christie Ring, you know, with a with a, a chance of getting into preliminary quarterfinal if you were to win it than to play in the Christie Ring, for example. Yeah, and like absolutely, and to, to be to be honest, you know, even to have the chance of winning an Ulster medal and a meaningful competition, as I'm sure Neil would also testify to, would be very very meaningful in itself. You yeah, know what I mean, and uh, it's just a chance. I think you just need to be ex- you know, exposed to a higher standard of hurling. And okay, you might say, oh, they haven't a pop's chance against such and such. And that may be the case for, you know, at this at this stage, Derry and Down or whatever else. But the reality is you've got to start somewhere. I understand the problems, you know, they 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 go down way beyond this. But it's like that's probably a pattern that exists across the whole GA Willie, and I'm sure that you agree too is, you know, um, the structure of our competitions in the GA and there are certain traditions also that are so draconian and outdated that they're actually detrimental to the way that, that the whole association is going. It's became stale and it's just like I said, if the big top counties are doing well and they're full in Coke Park on a sunny day in September or August, then we have this kind of notion that we're the best association in the world and everybody's happy and you know that kind of narrative comes out. I just don't buy that, and I certainly don't buy it coming from you know uh, County at the minute that you know obviously is you know not used to success and whatever else. But we should be an association that promotes fairness for a start, never mind anything else. And I just think at the minute we're so far away from that that it's becoming scary. And the scariest thing is we're even becoming even more far away from it. So like, where does the train stop here? You know what I mean? Yeah, like Cheddar Plunkett always talks about that on the show about. You know, weaker counties. The improvement in the in the Joe McDonough Cup counties, especially, he talks about it, and he says that Croke Park should have a dedicated hurling development. You know, a person who is responsible for the investment in all these counties. And talking of investment, Neil, you mentioned the Gale Fast. Do you see 
that on the ground already? Do you see that money having kicked in with the with the coaching? And you see, like, you won't see improvements for you know a while yet. But do you see it get, having got off the ground? Yeah, we, you know the the amount of work that's been done in the small space of time that Paul and his team have, have had who, who are uh, who are running that project is 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 fantastic. And that there's not enough money there. I think they're giving a million pounds over five years, something like that, or over over three years possibly. Uh, you know, it needs to be ten times that. But that's what needs yeah. to be done throughout Ulster. That's the only way to get this. Make you know, Kitty and Cahillions of RMI as strong as, as strong as possible. Let's get in there to those communities and get Harlem to the highest level possible. Do the same in Gannam and, and Carrickmore and Jerome. Do it in the, the three or four clubs in Derry who are really pushing it and do it, do it across Huntram. You know, let's see, can we get Belfast as a, a GA hub again? You know, we have, we've had one Belfast team uh, win a championship with Donovan Ross and won one in 2004 and I think you have to go to the 80s to find the last Belfast winner and there has been one since 2004. You know, so one inside the last almost 40 years it's it's crazy stuff you know for our biggest population base there's, there's something like 350,000 people living in Belfast and we're, it's a totally untapped resource for them so those things need to be addressed we have to invest in the little bit of structure and history we have available to us and then start thinking about the the you know the top level flagship competition the, you burst my bubble anyways, lads. The team Ulster, I was all on board for it now and, and I'm, def- I'm a little bit deflated now that it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Come here, Chrissy and Neil, thanks very much for taking the call and sure look, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Thanks, Willie. Okay. Cheers, Willie. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, all I said I'd still go and so it opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are and. uh we're trying hard to make it through, but it's hard to get the brakes when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know, and it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. I let it go.